good morning and welcome to The Word. If this is your first time listening in, welcome. Uh, My name is Mitchell Weber and uh, it is good to have you with us this morning. Uh, Today we are continuing again in our psalm series. Today we'll be tackling chapter 3 in the book of Psalms. Um, Sounding a lot better, hopefully you can hear. Um, I think I've finally gotten over these allergies or whatever that might have been. Um, but, uh, praise God, um, back to what I think is a good, uh, normal and healthy. So without further ado, we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and read chapter three. We'll pray and we'll dive uh, right into this. This is Psalms chapter three. This is the word of God. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory in the one who lifts up my head. I cry to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people, who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone, you have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing is upon your people. This is the word of God, let's pray. Heavenly Father, gracious Lord, we thank you for such a beautiful day. Lord, thank you for granting us another opportunity to awake, to see your beauty in creation, Father, knowing that you were even far better than it. Lord, we pray that today your word goes forth. I pray that only your word is heard, Father. I pray that if I say anything that is contrary to your word, Father, that is of my own opinion, whatever it might be, Father, I pray that it just goes in one ear and out the other. God, we pray that we are able to hear your word, we are able to learn from it, Father, whether that is application to our lives, or Father, if we are learning about characteristics of you, or maybe both, Father, Lord, I pray that we listen intently to what you have to say here in Psalm chapter 3, Father. Lord, I pray for those listening in. God, I pray that you grant them safety. Father, if they're sick, heal them. Father, if they're traveling, keep them safe. Lord, I pray for travel mercies to the destination. God, be with us during this time. I pray that this is a joy for us all, a time for all of us to learn from your word. Lord, we lift this time up to you in your son's precious name, we pray. Amen. I am excited. This is one of the chapters in Psalm that I think it's 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 so chock full of information. Um, I I just had a great time learning this and reading through it. Uh, I've got some uh, great discussion points, I think, for us today as uh, we move through uh, this chapter in Psalm. It's fairly short, only eight verses, but uh, like I said, I think there's a lot we can learn from it. So before we begin, I kind of have a breakdown of uh, what to expect, and it it can kind of go something like this. Uh, Verses one to two, We see that uh, maybe complaints to God of enemies. David is complaining of his enemies to God. In verse 3, we see that he confides 
confides in God. In verse 4 and 5, we see David recalling his satisfaction in God. Right? He's at death's door. We'll get to that in a minute. But his satisfaction in God triumphs that fear. It's interesting. We'll get into that a little later. Verses 6 and 7, we see victory over his fear and his enemies. In verse 8, we see David ending in glory to God for salvation. Right? So those are five overarching points. And I think we can maybe take those five and reword them just a little bit a little bit differently. So number one, David worshiped God despite his disobedient child, right? His joy, David's joy was unhindered. So I say disobedient child, and we'll, we'll mention this as we move throughout this chapter, but uh, David is most likely writing this either during or maybe after uh, the time when Absalom, his, I believe it was his third son, I don't remember exactly, but it was one of his sons, uh, actually rose up against him. And despite one of his children being disobedient to him, David's joy in Christ, it was unhindered. We'll get into that a little more. Number two, the perils drove him to God. Right? So we can kind of see how his focus shifts over these eight verses in this short amount of time. In verse, or in the number three, he did not forego communion with God. So David chose to continue in prayer. He prayed to God despite his circumstances. He didn't forego it because of the situation he is. That's important to keep in mind as we move along. Number four, he didn't allow, David didn't allow sorrow of his own sin to hinder joy in God. And then number five, the fortitude of the Christian life resides in peace of mind and serenity far off and more so than the sword in hand, something like uh, we can think of as Peter uh, when we say that. I'll say that again. The fortitude of the Christian resides in peace of mind and serenity than the sword the sword in hand. I'm saying that word wrong and I, or weird and I apologize. I'm putting a lot of emphasis on the W, but sword in hand. So let's get into it. So verses 1 and 2. David is astonished, right? He's He's baffled in verses 1 and 2 at the multitude uh, of people that are against him. They had their hearts. He, they had their hearts set against him. But, but prior to this, David had the hearts of his people. But so many turned against him. He thought that when Absalom rose against him, when his son Absalom rose against him, that they would revolt against Absalom. But it's quite the contrary that happened here. So that's a key thing to kind of keep in mind. Don't be surprised when the current against you strengthens, right? David was surprised as, as a believer in God. He had his shortcomings at times, but he was ultimately a man of God. He was astonished at first, and you can hear it in the first two verses. He says, Lord, how they have increased against me. They, there are so many that rise up against me. There are so many that are saying to me specifically, there is no help from you from God. They're saying that to David directly. He's, he's baffled by the fact that he, he had been such a good king to his people that there are now so many rising up against him. He's just astonished. In verse 2, he's, he, we, we see that he's labeled as a wicked man. Right? This is, we're getting into verse 2, but this is the latter, or yeah, sorry, excuse me, this is verse 2. 
He's labeled as a wicked man. There's no help from God. It's not available to him, they're saying. And that's blasphemously claim, proclaimed to him he, that, that he was too much for omnipotence. It's one of the character traits uh, for Christ. That omnipotence, all-powerful being God, was too much to handle. That he was too much to handle for God. But that's not true. And it's especially interesting coming from Israel, the people of Israel. These are the ones, these are the people, some of the people in Israel who claim to be, we'll say, so head over heels for Christ that they're saying this to David. It's interesting, right? They repeat it so so much that David questions if he really is too far too far gone. So let me let me pause here. Right, this is a an interesting point in the Bible. We don't see it too often. I think we see it about seventy times in all of Psalms. But that word selah, s e l a h. I think some of you might have it in your translations that you might be using, and sometimes it breaks up verses in the Psalms. And what scholars think uh, that is, it's a pause saying consider, like, put your mind to this, like, wrestle with it, just think about it for a little bit, pause before you go on to the next line. But let me, let, let, let us pause, and let's think about this for a second. This is, this is something I think many of us need to remember, maybe we need to hear it, maybe we are, uh, maybe we are ones who do this, but there are far too many people who have been church hurt, we'll say, because they have been marginalized or told that they're unforgivable. Or that they're treated in such a way that they question their own salvation. But let me tell you this, and hear me please. You are never unforgivable unless Christ returns and you are unsaved. This is not a call to keep on sinning, right? It's, it's, this does not mean that Mitchell Weber is advocating for people to keep on sinning. No, that's not it at all. But it is far too destructive to sit here and tell somebody that they are too far gone, that the hand of God is too far gone, that they are too far out of God's reach. Now there's a difference between those that are willing to hear, listen to the gospel, Listen to the word of God, to those that are trying to pour into them, and those who are outright against it. We've already seen that in the first couple chapters, actually. If we remember back to chapters 1 and 2, right? There's a distinction there. But who am I to go around parading the streets saying, you all are too far from God, I am the most holy, you aren't forgivable, I'm the only one that's forgiven, right? Yada, yada, yada. No. It's something we need to understand. I will call what sin is sin. I will call sin, sin. But I will never tell you that God cannot help you. That is a lie from hell. And in fact, look at verse 3. David proclaims this. You are a shield. This is, and I forgot to mention this at the beginning, this is the second this is statement. Let them say what they will, David's saying. Let them say what they will. But I know who my God is. Right? And, and if we can just pause real quick and re- address those this is statements. This is where I like to, when I was reading through this, it seems clear that David is making uh, what I would call this is 
statements. In verses 1 and 2, he says, this is the situation, right? There are a ton of people rising up against me. In verses 3 and 4, David proclaims, this is who God is. He's a shield. He lifts up my head. I cried out to him and he heard from me. And then really from verses 5 to 8, this is the third this is statement. This is what God has done and what he will do. But we're in the second this is statement right now in verses 3 and 4. Right? And this is who God is for David. Hear this. Number one, he is protection. Right? Symbolized by a shield. Number two, he is honor or glory. And number three, he is joy. We read in those verses that he lifts David's head. Lifter of his head, meaning joy. And in verse 3, David cries out, Care and grief are good to us when they make a way to prayer, to cry out to God. Not merely engaging in speaking to, but crying out to. There's nothing wrong with speaking to God. But these two emotions cause us to cry out to. Right? And the distinction, I think, can be made between speaking to and crying out to. Speaking might be somebody in front of me. I'm talking to you. I'm conversing with somebody right there in front of me, maybe. But crying out to, right, as a child lost in a store in a big crowd, I need you with me now. Where are you? I need you. David is crying out to God in desperation because he needs him. And we read on. We read on in these verses. In verse 4, he says, I cried out to you with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. God is always listening and ready and willing to answer according to his will. And in verse 4, we'll get more into that here in a minute, but in verse 4, David lays down to sleep and awoke. The Lord had sustained him. Despite the enemy on his heels, he laid down to rest. Many would have stayed awake, right? He could have been killed in his sleep. He could have been taken in his sleep, but God brought him through. Just think about it. If you were being pursued, right? If you... If you knew you were being pursued by a bunch of people that were out to take your life, and you had encampments of them all around you, would you lay down to sleep? Think about that, right? I don't know how I'd answer that in the moment, but I think right now, if, if I just think about it, if I had all these people around me, I don't know that I'd want to go to sleep. I'd sleep with one eye open, right, as the saying goes. But David laid his hand down to sleep, and the Lord awoke him. He sustained him. And in the last part of verse 4, we read that God heard him from his holy hill. This is a play on words here, I think. When we think about the holy hill, right, we might think that this is a, a sacred place that few are heard at. Think about it like this. How easy is it for you to contact the President of the United States? That's a silly question, right? Could I just pick up my phone and, and call him? Absolutely not. That Yeah, right. I don't even know the phone number. But David is assured by the fact that God hears no matter where David is. In fact, this draws us back to Psalm 2.6. Remember, I have set my king on the holy hill of Zion. And again, excuse me, again, we have Selah. Ponder what you just read of the amazing goodness of God. Right, so David's going through all this. This, this draws us back to 2 Samuel chapter 15. This is the it's more than just chapter 15. I think it's the preceding chapters and the chapters to follow, but he's recounting his time when Absalom was pursuing him. And in verse 5, we see that David was safe. He prayed and cried out to God, and his heart was fixed towards him. In verse 6, we see his confidence 
in the Lord and his fears were silenced. This was a man so focused on God that he did not fear the tens of thousands against him. He boldly proclaimed that in verse 6. And again, in 2 Samuel 15, verse 26, he was dejected. He was at this point, right? He was, his current state was this, and this is somewhat of a paraphrase of 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 26. He says, here I am, let him do to me what he thinks is best, basically. But now we see here in, in the latter part of chapter 3, David stands strong. We see a complete shift of his attitude. It's gone from complaints of his enemy's strength to exalting God for his power and grace. What a model for us. How true is it that God is strongest of all? How important is it to remind ourselves of who God is? And how do we do that? Right? I think it's one of those things that we hear so often. How, how do we remind ourselves of that, of who God is? How, how do we go about doing that? And I think one of the ways that we can come, come away with here is in Psalm chapter 3. If we reread verses 3 and 4, he says this, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. What did David do? He went to God in prayer. It's one of the most important things. We have a direct, we have, I don't know, we have a direct line of communication through Christ to commune with God. Christ died on the, sin, died on the cross for our sins. He has bridged that gap because we could not do it on our own. Praise God for his son, Jesus Christ. So one of the ways we can do that is through prayer. Talk with God. He wants to hear you talk to him. He wants to converse with you. And how else can we do this? That's one example. We memorize scripture. We invest and get invested in by others. This is another reason why it's so important. It's critical to be involved with the local church. One that you, you are learning in, that you're growing in, one that you love. One that challenges you and pushes you. One that reaches out to its community and gives back. It's so important to have those who are more mature than you spiritually pouring into your lives. That sees things that you might not see for yourself. That will call sin what it is. We need people like that in our lives and we need to be doing it for others as well. Again, there's different seasons in life, if we remember back to chapter 1, that those planted by the waters, the Word of God, produce fruit in its season. And it all boils down to this, discipline. It boils down to discipline. We must be disciplined enough to think through our situation as David did, lest we take that first step down that slippery slope. What do I mean by that? It's so easy to let our emotions rule our lives and dictate our actions. If we are not careful with the situations that come our way, the circumstances that come our way, the trials and tribulations, whatever we're tried and tested with, we can respond in anger with, with hate speech, 
We can become cruel, frustrated, and we can let those dictate our actions. But look at what David does here if we kind of take a step back from chapter 3. Remember how he started. He said, okay, this is my situation. Okay, here is who God is. And this is what he has done and is doing. And see, what's, what's the big picture that we need to really focus back to here? David draws his attention back to God. He doesn't draw his attention back to his enemies. He doesn't draw it back to himself. He draws it back to God and his promises. That's so important. David rationally thought about what was going on in his life. And I know that it's far easier to say than do sometimes. I get it. But we need to make sure that when these things come around, whatever it might be, whether it's sin issues in our life, temptation with money or lust, greed, whatever it might be, we need to stop ourselves in our tracks and say, wait a minute. What am I turning to? Am I turning to the world? Am I focusing on self and the circumstance or am I turning myself to Christ? It's okay to feel emotion. They are God-given. But we cannot let them dictate what we do. And I think that is exactly what David does here in chapter 3. And what does he do here in verse 7? David proclaims Christ spoiling his enemy plant, his enemy's plans. He says, The very teeth used to be sharpened and gnashed against God and his people. They've been broken to pieces. That's in verse 7. And they have been disabled to do what they have set out to do. They have been blemished and made shameful. Right? Remember in, in I think it's uh, chapter 1, where, or maybe it's chapter 2. Yeah, it's chapter 2, where uh, we, we read that uh, the kings set themselves, the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. They, they set themselves against God and his people. But here in, verse, or in chapter 3, in verse 7, we read, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. And I think that's symbolic uh, of, uh, of uh, verbalizing the plan. Right? God has struck, stricken, I don't know if that's the right word, but he has struck the cheekbone of these people, those who have set themselves against God and his people and has completely obliterated and abolished what they've set out to do. Christ has already won. And in verse 8, I think this is critical to remember, and and, and just keep in mind. In verse 8, as we draw this to a close, there are two truths that we need to hear. Number one is this, salvation belongs to the Lord. It is his promise to those who are his, right? Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's the first part of chapter eight. And the second part, or verse eight, and that's, and the second part is this, your blessing is upon your people. So number two, his blessing is upon his people. He has the power and the intention of goodness to his people. Let that seep into every area of your life. He has the power to save, but he also has the intention of goodness to you, to, uh, to myself, to those who are his, to those who call him Lord, who truly believe in and on Christ. We may be censured by others, 
by the people of this world, by those who would set themselves against us and God. But those of God are still under his blessing. They they remain blessed by him. And we can all say amen to that. So it is here we come to a close. And I will leave you with this. Let us respond in a way to our circumstances with rational thought. Weigh the power and character of God to whatever you are faced with. Sometimes it's easier said than done, but in David's circumstances, he recognized the situation. He reminds himself and us who God is and then triumphantly proclaims what God has done and will do. He proclaims who holds salvation and who his blessing resides upon. So I ask you this, and I ask myself this as well. Who will you be in your lowest hour? How will you respond, and what or who will you turn to? Will you turn to Christ, or will you focus on self? Will you turn to Christ, or will you turn to the world? Your answer just might reveal something about you. It might reveal something about your heart, especially if you've been in a tough situation or circumstance. I don't know that many of us have been in a situation like David's, but I'm sure we've been in tough predicaments where it seems like the world is standing against us. How did you respond? This isn't to demean you. This isn't to scold you. I am, I am no judge. I am not here to condemn. But I encourage all of us to think about how we've handled things like this in the past. Tough things. Was it God-honoring? Was it in a way that redirected our hearts to Christ? Or maybe did it redirect us other, elsewhere? Something, something curious to think about. Again, it's not demeaning. I'm not here to say that you're the worst person that's ever lived, that you don't know what you're doing. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I think it's good to remember, not to necessarily hang on to the past and let the past absolutely destroy you, no. But it's good to recollect. Think, okay, this is what happened. This is how I responded. What will I do differently, if anything, when something like this comes my way again? Will I be ready to give an answer? Something interesting to keep in mind. I pray that this has been an encouraging time for us all. That it gives us an idea of what uh, maybe we can model ourselves after. If we can maybe, in a way, implement what David did with his response here in chapter 3. But I encourage you all to reread through it. Read each word. Read each verse. Ponder the truths that are here in chapter 3. Ponder what God has said. Ponder what David went through in response to that situation, those circumstances. And then maybe take a look at your own life. And see where maybe you can improve. To see where maybe you can say, hey, the way I've been handling these things 
are focused on self. They're not focused on Christ, right? They're, may, they're maybe not God-honoring. Or maybe you've been avoiding them altogether. But I think it's important to keep chapter 3 in mind as we go about our lives on a daily basis. Maybe you can make it your goal to memorize this chapter, these eight verses. But it, it's, it's important, especially uh, when we get back together here um, in September, um, or October, I mean, excuse me, in October, uh, I think uh, October 2nd, when we discuss chapter 4, because chapter 3 and 4 um, really, I think, might be better read hand in hand, one after the other. So we might do that uh, October 2nd when we uh, reconvene. It might be October 3rd, I can't remember exactly when. But it's important to keep in mind, and, and I'm sure we'll be drawing attention back to it when we discuss chapter 4. But again, I pray that this was a helpful and encouraging time for us all as we learn and discover the truths of God, His blessings upon His people, and how His followers have responded to the trials and tribulations and even the joyous times that come their way. I thank you all for listening in and for your continued support. It is such a blessing to be able to share these things with you all. Uh, again, I am walking alongside you. I am in no way superior to any of you. Uh, I consider myself a student as well. Um, but I am grateful for these opportunities to be able to share in this capacity. So again, thank you for tuning in, listening. And until next time, this has been The Word. God bless.